This is Parenting for the Everyday. I'm Becca Alvarez. And I'm Holly Dyke Andrew. We are two moms currently down in the trenches of parenthood. We want to create a community of support and encouragement as we set out to find the answers to the parenting questions that everyone is asking. From the easy stuff to the hard stuff, we want to talk about it all. On this episode, we have in the studio Pastor Joe, our lead pastor at Christ Community Chapel, as well as Pastor Zach, who is the Executive Director of Vision and Strategy at Christ Community Chapel. I do just want to give a quick content warning about this episode. We are discussing explicit content, and so if you are listening to this on speaker or in the car, I want you to know we are discussing the topic of pornography today. So with that being said, will you two just start us out with what is the problem with pornography? You know, it's interesting to me that the moral standard in our society these days seems to be that if an action harms someone, then it's wrong. But if it doesn't harm someone, then it isn't wrong. Then it's a personal, uh, private choice. And I think this is the chief problem that exists even underneath this question, which is the Christian idea is that we don't know what harms people. Because we we we're not omniscient. We we don't we're not able to see amoral action and how it ripples out into other. But if I actions. if I could guess on something that would harm people, porn would be at the top of the list. Yeah, right. I mean, it's not that. Hard yeah, I think there's data. I mean, I, I I appreciate the explicit content warning. I'll just re- reiterate that even before I tell the story. But I'll give you an example. I I read an article two weeks ago that about a 15 year old girl who went missing for a year. And uh, family didn't know what happened to her until a family friend, and this the whole other thing, saw her on a video on Pornhub. And by the time they were done doing an investigation, she had appeared in 55 videos oh. in which she was assaulted. So non-consensual. I mean, she's 15, so con- con- uh, consent was not a part of the factor. But in which the videos were actually, the, the appeal of the videos right. was watch this girl be assaulted for a year. And the thing is, we have no idea when we watch people on, on our TV or our computer having sex, we have no idea what happens when the camera's off. Right. We have it, no idea well, the level of harm that, that exists to them, let alone the level of harm that's happening to us. Right, that's right. Where, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where I was going to go. Where yeah, Whenever you ask that question, my initial response is what it does to the person who's viewing. Mm. Zach started out with the other, with what it does to the people who are performing, that's in air quotes, or whatever's happening. But uh, what's happening inside of someone, I think, is uh, tremendously detrimental to what it means to be human, and then what it means to have uh, an intimate relationship. Because I think God, the the Bible is very, uh, it's very interesting, because it's it's surprisingly uh, positive towards sex. And it's also surprisingly protective of uh, the intimacy of the sexual relationship. And there are all kinds of parameters around that, uh, this uh, thing, because I think, and, and Becca, you and I have talked about it when we were preparing for the, the Parent Summit, because there's such power there. You, you, you got to be very careful with stuff that has, uh, the more powerful something is, the more uh, carefully you should handle that. And it seems like the Bible says that sex is one of those things that's super, super powerful. So it needs to be handled with care. And, you know, uh, 
I remember uh, reading too that in uh, one of the ways that the church was revolutionary in the first century is that uh, Christians were uh, very open with their pocketbooks and closed in their bedrooms, and the Roman culture was open in their bedrooms and closed with their pocketbooks. <laughs> and I think that's a really interesting kind of dynamic. We want people to be generous uh, with their material goods, uh, but very stingy with their own uh, yeah, bodies. Yeah, Jesus said it this way. He said, all the law and the prophets come back to these two concepts, love God with all that you you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's really saying the laws is about three things, loving God, uh, loving yourself, because he says love your neighbor as yourself, and loving your neighbor, not in that order, right? Uh, but what's interesting is pornography actually fails on all three levels because people are made in the image of God. So commodifying them, objectifying them is is, is fundamentally an affront to God. Um, it also is, fails the test of neighbor love for, for reasons that I just mentioned, uh, not just objectifying people, but uh, it's tied into human trafficking, it's tied into drug use, it's tied into assault. There are a lot of things there. And then it's not loving to yourself because of the damage, even on a neurological level. I mean, I, I played golf with a guy last year who was sharing his story with me, powerful story. Uh, pornography had, had, had really gripped him. He'd been five years sober. And I asked him, what's the biggest difference you've seen in yourself? over the last five years. And he said, believe it or not, I lose my temper a lot less with my family. Hmm. And I said, what's the connection between pornography and losing your temper? He said, I don't know, but there is one. And that's the thing, it, it withered. You know, I, I always say, you'll appreciate this, Joe, in, the, in Lord of the Rings, the, the movies, not the books. I don't like the books. Um, <laughs> oh, in, gosh. In the, You're I the only person anywhere to actually say that. Yeah. Cut, yeah. Uh-huh. Cut, cut that out <laughs> of this. In the, in the movies, in the second movie, they go to Rohan, and the king of Rohan is this once mighty warrior, and they need yeah. his help. And, he, and he, he is withered. And the reason why he's withered is he has this liar uh, who's over his shoulder. It's a great picture, I think, and who whispers lies to him, and the lies are withering him. And it isn't until they get rid of the whisper that he is restored to, to being a king. And I, I don't know if I can describe all the ways this happens, but pornography withers us. Yeah. It reduces us. And so for that reason, it's wrong on literally every level an action could be wrong. And it's so interesting. You eloquently stated all of that. But it's so interesting because I feel like porn is so pacified in our culture because it's just something that everybody watches or everybody goes to the stage or every teenage boy or girl has seen it or watched it. And so it's just something that is in every buddy thing, an everyday thing. And it is so damaging on all levels, whether consumer or performer. Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, I was going to stop Zach, but he was on a roll. <laughs> when he when he used the word, his friend had been sober for right. five years. Yeah. Oh, that, that was, was a, interesting that was too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, Frederick Buechner, who's a writer that I really like, uh, he said, lust is uh, the craving for salt of a man who's dying of thirst. And I think there's something about pornography. And if, if you're listening to this and you have dabbled in pornography, you know that it, it creates a thirst that it never truly slakes, which is, you know, one, that, that is the definition of, of an, an addictive substance. Yeah. So to me, just that alone would make you go, Ooh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that can be good for, cause humanity, uh, God didn't create us to be a mastered, by by things like that. He created us to be free in our relationship with him 
be a servant of his, but in that we experience real freedom. There is no real freedom if you're addicted to yeah, something. Yeah, I'll say as a father of five kids growing up in a digital world and as a pastor who routinely count, counsels on this issue, uh, I treat it like a drug addiction. I, I think it is equivalent to a drug addiction. It, it Even, again, even neurologically, the pathways that are formed and the habit that is formed and the craving and the power it has. I mean, I when someone comes to me uh, struggling with pornography, I always ask two questions. The first question is I say, why are you here, right? Are you here because your wife or girlfriend, or, you know, because it's usually a man I'm counseling. So uh, is your, are you here because your wife or girlfriend caught you or are you here because you genuinely desire? And a lot of times they'll say, mm, I don't know. And I'll say, well, here's how you know the answer. If you wanted to look at pornography right now, how would you do it? And if you have an answer to that, you're like an addict that keeps a bottle of wine in the washing machine, right? You don't, you're not ready yet to get sober. And I was once sitting with a guy who's there with his wife and his wife was like, oh, he's gotten rid of everything. There's no way. And the guy looked at me, didn't even blink. And he said, I would open our accounting app. I would click on frequently asked questions. That goes to a webpage and I would look at pornography. That's wild. And that's yeah. drug addiction language. Yeah. Like, like that yeah. is, uh, but the second, the second thing is I ask, have you looked at child pornography yet? And they're always offended when I ask that. And I say, but here's what I know. And they'll, they'll say, well, no, no. And I'll say, well, are you saying that you know 100% certainty you've never watched a video with a person under the age of 18? And they'll stop and they'll go, well, I don't, I don't know that. And I'll say, well, let me ask you this. Are you watching anything now that six months ago you would have said I'll never watch? And they always hang their head and say yeah. yes. And I say, that's why it's a drug addiction. Yeah. It, will, it will destroy you. It will, it will never be enough. It will take you. The addict doesn't start off saying, I'm going to steal from my parents. Right. They do that to satiate a, a desire. That's and pornography is just now, that way. There's a scientific reason for that, right? It's exhausting. It's called exhausting the erotic potential. And they've done studies on this. They started with the study by uh, you know, attaching electrodes to a man and heartbeat and all that. And then they would put uh, a picture of a naked woman in in front of him, and then they would see his visceral reaction and uh, things would be high. Then they would remove it. They'd put other pictures, bring back the same woman. It would be lower, lower, lower till it's flat, which is why back in the day when they had uh, pornography in magazines, they, you would need a new magazine every month because the, the first magazine had exhausted its erotic potential. So when Zach says, have you looked at child pornography? What he's saying is, you know, that, that's the way pornography works. You, you know, and the, and the internet now is bottomless. So you don't run out of that you know, uh, month's magazine. You just keep on click, 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 and it it will take you deeper and deeper until the stuff that you started to watch no longer has any erotic potential. It doesn't have the same, it, which is drugs again, right? Yeah. Just like getting hits. So all that to say, what's interesting is that God created a human being, um, a man, let's say, and uh, I can only speak from a man's perspective, uh, to uh, for a single woman, to never exhaust erotic potential. A single woman in a in a marriage relationship, in a healthy marriage, uh, the the man never gets tired of that woman, uh, and it's because it's it's the way God designed it. But it's also that sex was intended not just to be a physical thing, but an emotional and spiritual thing as well. Uh, but I think it's interesting that if you get into pornography, you. you you know, one woman will not satiate you for a half hour. 
But on a marriage, a one woman can satiate you for 60 years. Yeah, that's, yeah. You talked a little bit about uh, that the Bible talks a lot about sex. It doesn't specifically talk about pornography, but Mm -hmm. talk about how pornography breaks what the Bible does say about sex or how it contradicts it. Yeah, I would I would say that um, maybe the best example I can give, and it might be kind of weird, is so God uh, makes Adam and Eve, and He places them in the garden in Genesis two, and the Bible says they're naked and without shame, right? So I always say that that means there's a, a physical piece to it, but then there's also uh, an emotional piece, right? There there there's no insecurity, right? It's just they're they're totally comfortable, and then when they eat from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from, it's interesting that even though it's still just them. Uh, they immediately become insecure. They cover they cover themselves uh, even before they hear God coming. They're covering themselves from each other, which is fascinating. Then the next chapter you get Cain and Abel, and right after Cain and Abel you get this guy named Lamech, and Lamech marries two women. Right, so he's instantly now we've gone from monogamy to polygamy, and he's abusive. He kills a boy for bothering him. He tells his wives, you know, remember God said to Cain, if anyone hurts you, you know, and he pronounces a judgment. Well, well Lamech pronounces the, the, the judgment on anyone. He tells his wives, this is how it's going to be. And so you see instantly the, the kind of the first fruits of sin are, is the objectification of women and the commodification of sex instantly. Lamech takes two wives because he wants to yeah. sleep with more than one woman. And so, yeah, he, he didn't look at pictures of them on the internet. But the Bible is saying is, is something about men and women, gender, sexuality, and image of God is so intertwined that the minute sin enters the world, it isn't economic manifestation, it, it isn't political manifestation, it's sexual manifestation, just that quickly, right? And and so what's interesting is I think the Bible has a really high view of marriage and monogamy and sexuality and a really low view. It goes out of its way to say, this is how you know the world's broken. Sex is broken. And it's broken in that it involves more than one man and more than one woman. Now, one of the other way to look at that too is that uh, pornography, when, when Zach talks about uh, the commodification, I think that's the word you use there, Make, treating somebody as a commodity. Uh, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure that's a word. <laughs> but if you say it But if when you look at pornography, what you are doing is saying that this person exists for me, right? That's, you know, to make somebody a commodity is to make them for your own consumption. Uh, what uh, the Bible is consistently against saying, you exist for me. Uh, the Bible and Jesus would always say, oh, no, you you exist for others. Like, love is always about me trying to serve someone else. And that's one of the things, just so you know, whenever I'm counseling somebody um, before they get married, and I, I will say to uh, the woman, um, if, uh, oh, well, I'll give the man a, a question that he should ask his wife every once in a while. And that question is, after we have sex, do you feel loved? Right? That's always a good question. But I'll say to the woman, if something changes, like you just feel it, and you, after sex, you feel used and not loved, he's into pornography. Hmm. Because it changes the whole movement. And then she has, she'll feel it in a very kind of, um, it won't be a direct thing. He's not going to say, hey, I'm going to use you. 
she'll feel it. And, and I said, you feel that you should ask him and then you should check to find out because he's into pornography. That's what pornography does. It makes, it makes someone say, uh, you exist so that I can use you. And, and the way God intended lovemaking to be is that the greatest pleasure is in, is in giving pleasure to the one that you love. And in pornography, of course, there's no one to give, to yeah. give pleasure to. You are... Yeah. Except for yourself. Well, so you have Jesus saying that if you even, if you see a woman and you you think about her sexually, she's not your wife, you've committed adultery. And what pornography has done is just made that a business. Mm -hmm. That exact thing is now now a business. And it's interesting, I, I once had lunch with a guy who confessed to me over lunch that he habitually cheated on his wife, like every weekend. Oh, gosh. And I, it staggered, I know this story. Yeah, it this staggered me. Story. And I thought, wow, you know, that's... Something, you know, nobody says that to their pastor. And he says, yeah, but, you know, you think about it, a lot of guys I know are looking at porn. Pornography is just adultery for cowards. And that has really stuck with me because he was saying, right. you, you think about me as so evil, but you'd sit here, if I had said, oh, pastor, I have a porn problem, you wouldn't even have blinked. And he's like, but what's the difference? Yeah. The only difference is, is I'm with an actual person. And look, that guy wasn't exactly a... Uh, a scholar of the Bible or a paragon of righteousness, but he was right. He was right, and we have to repent in the church that we we in some, we all know it's wrong. I think, but we've normalized it in a way. And 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 what's fascinating to me is in a culture that rightly is seeking to elevate women, that that even even among Christians who would say men and women have value, or among women who are rightfully saying we need to be more valued, that pornography is so widely accepted mm -hmm. because it is a full frontal assault on the value. I've never met a man who has a who has habitually looked at pornography who whose approach to women or thought process about women is improving. That he's somehow learning to see more value in them. I mean, it, 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 it always, it leads to rape culture. It leads, I mean, there's so many things it ties into. And I, I mean, I, I used to say this when I lived in the city all the time, because I, I would go to restaurants with people who would not eat chicken unless they knew what farm it came from. But they would watch two people have sex on the internet without knowing anything about them. And we, as a church, I feel like we have to stop normalizing the idea that it matters more where your, where your poultry comes from than the story of two people who, who are being consumed for your benefit. It's crazy. So we have thoroughly established how damaging pornography is, <laughs> we can got more. be, we can say more. <laughs> and will always be. Yeah. So what are ways that we can protect our kids from this issue that feels so consuming? It feels everywhere. You can put all the filters on the phones, but you can't protect them on the bus. You don't know who's going to have it, when they're going to have it. I mean, you said it's an accounting app. So, right. I mean, even like yeah. thinking about filters yeah. on your phone. How do you protect well, first, from this huge thing? First, I, I listened to your podcast on technology. I thought that was really helpful. I think that is some is at least a place to start. But I think you, have, you also have to start having conversations. Yeah. Now, Zach, you're in the midst of it yeah. with your kids. So. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I, my wife, Amy, leads out in a lot of this. And she does an amazing job with this. But I, I think I would say three things right away. You you have to realize that I think the biggest obstacle in the way of keeping your children safe from pornography is your own laziness. I think we have to realize that the technology creates the opportunity to be lazy as a parent. Even if it's like, I don't want to deal with them today, just go get on your tablet. Just yeah. go get on your, right? So you have to recognize technology is a dangerous thing. 
And so you got you just can't relent. I don't think kids should have phones in their rooms. I don't think they should be on the internet in a non-public room. I, I think you you unapologetically look at devices. You and when you don't do those things, I don't think it's about empowerment or or independence. Honestly, in my opinion, I think it's about laziness. I just I don't think of it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to have that fight. You you have to care about them enough. I think the second thing is. You have to talk about your kids. Uh, you have to talk about sex with your kids early, mm-hmm. earlier than you want to. Just the byproduct of living in the culture that we live in. You, you know, we we tend to have a conversation, not not a full out conversation, but a conversation around seven, eight years old. And the reason why is because we want to be first. We want to yeah. be first. It's so important to frame things and to create a dialogue so that you say to them, when you hear things, when you see things, when you you can always come to me. You will never be in trouble for asking questions. You will never be in trouble for being curious. You will never be because you know, sin and sinful thoughts, they're like mold. They grow in the dark, right? So you just want to bring that stuff out and have your kids have it. And then you got to not freak out when they bring it up. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. something Amy helps me with, right? It's just uh, when they ask a question, you think, who told you that word? Like who, how did you even, and you, and you, you mourn and lament that that is even out there. And then I think third, you build a culture of grace, right? That, that's the thing is I don't know. I, I, I'm sad to say this. I don't know if it's possible to raise a kid these days, get them to 18 years old without them being exposed to pornography. Yeah. I just don't know if it's possible. You know, because Beckett's like you said, they don't even have to choose to look right. at it, right? So, I mean, my son was on a bus uh, in like, I think the sixth grade and his friends were trying to make him look at it. And when he wouldn't look at it, they were calling him gay. And that's a really tough spot to be in when you're in the sixth grade for a lot of reasons. And that's mm-hmm. a horrific story for a lot of reasons. And and I don't know if it's possible. So if you create a culture of grace, your children will talk to you about sin. They'll talk to you about messing up because they understand that you're for them and that your God is bigger than their sin. And that's why I think you start talking very early about Jesus, the gospel, grace, forgiveness to create that climate. But uh, the only even, thing, the only thing I would add to that, to those three please. things, would be to make sure that you're healthy yeah. as a parent, right? Because we're kidding. I'm kidding myself as a pastor if I thought that there weren't any men in our congregation that are looking at porn and looking at porn a lot. So it's going to be hard to keep your kids from it. You know, back. In my day, that's the way you yes. you got into porn is because you found your dad's the stash. dad's stash, yeah. So it's still that way, in a, at least at a subconscious level, I think. But and that could account for some of the laziness that you talk about too. But yeah, I, I read something recently that talked about the average age for a kid to see pornography now is between the ages of eight and ten. And I do think there is like uh, parents are saying, "Oh, well, not my kid. I have them protected. I have them in here." Um, we had a parent come to us and ask, uh, if I talk to them about this, I'm going to make them curious about something. They have no idea about that. So how would you answer the idea of like, hey, you're exposing to something, exposing them to something that they haven't been exposed to, a parent who would have that fear? Yeah, I, I think you're careful about the way you bring it up. I, I think you, you know, we're not, again, I think the conversation you have at eight is not the same as the one you have at 10 or the one you have at 12 or right. I just think it's important to be first, that that's it. And then I, I think you encourage them when they are curious to come to you. I think we work really hard to say, we're not trying to hide things from you. 
if, if, if you are ready to hear something, we're going to explain it to you. We're going to answer. There are times where I come home and Amy will say, Hey, your son wants to know about this. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. Right. But, but I've told him when, when he encounters something, when he, so he doesn't need Google, right. For mm-hmm. that, uh, he, he has his dad. Now, again, I'm, I'm speaking in like a perfect situation. I'm not saying my son's any less uh, likely to Google than yours. I'm just saying it is important to create a, an additional uh, pipeline. So, but I think there's a a comfortable, and I'll speak for myself. There's a comfortable naivete that we try to hold on to. Yeah, and yes. that, I think that's a bigger danger yeah. Yeah. than igniting a curiosity. Yeah, which probably already so, exists. It's, I would say the same thing probably about drugs, right? I mean, you don't say oh, I don't want to mention drugs to my kids because that might create a curiosity and you wait for them to be offered something on the bus, you know, or in, at school, you just go, Hey, this is, this is what's and this there. is yeah. what you do when somebody tries to do, to offer you this, this is, I would give them a plan like with, you know, Zach's son on the bus, I mean, as long as he has a plan, like if somebody shows you something or if you see something, come on, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. And that's actually the main recommendation now because there's so much that's uncontrolled is to have plans for um, if someone wants to show you something on their phone, asking questions before they show it to you and just kind of getting your kids ready for that. I would also say that, um, Zach, you gave a great age range of when that conversation starts. And I would even push that earlier too. And maybe not a conversation about porn, but conversations about body parts and things that you're just really comfortable talking with your kids early on because as it gets more complex and you do start to introduce topics like porn, then you've already created that foundation that you can build off of. So is this a topic, though, that is just geared towards boys? We talk about men a lot. We talk about boys a lot. And it's been interesting. I teach the premarital class with my wife, Amy, uh, exploring marriage. And uh, Amy, when we do the week on sex, I talk a lot about pornography. And Amy has corrected me multiple times because I tend to frame it in a masculine way. And she will always jump in and say, Hey, uh, women struggle with this too. This is a reality for women. I think it's a blind spot for me because I'm a guy and I deal with guys and I don't, uh, I just, you know, it would be inappropriate for me to be counseling a woman on her use of pornography. So, but my wife would say that she meets regularly with women who are struggling with this. So no, I don't think it's a, a just a guy's problem. And I don't know if that's more recent development or not. I, I don't, I don't know. But it does seem like it is it is a growing uh, a growing population, which is women who are involved with with pornography mm-hmm. or with on the topic of a growing kind of sensation and population. Um, there's also cartoon porn, hentai, anime porn, stuff like that. Would that be less damaging for a child to be watching than? No, I don't think Regular. so. Regular. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No, I, yeah, I read an article about that right. just saying uh, in some ways that can be more damaging uh, because of uh, body image and the way it accentuates different things. It gives you a wrong idea of what it, of what sex is. The whole thing, I mean, it's all... It, <clears throat> one of the things that I always try to tell guys, and I'm like, Zach, I can only see it from a... But... It, uh, all porn, regardless of what it, of whether it's cartoon porn, which is that's just crazy to me. But, um, but it's like a river flowing uh, the wrong direction, and it gets 
the river the river is supposed to flow in love a certain direction from me out to someone else uh all all porn does is it changes that direction of a river and the, that river you know every time you look at porn that river gets stronger and and bigger and harder to to reverse and so that's what we you know they're doing research now on uh was erectile dysfunction in college kids and and it's and it's the kind of dysfunction that no pill viagra does not touch because it's it has they have burned out the synapses in a per, you know the the part of their brain where they can be sexually stimulated which is nuts i mean but and then what they'll find is if they'll go sober which is Zach's word for they have to do it for like 3 months 6 months they will they begin to get their sexual ability back which is nuts, but that's part. Yeah, of it. I just think yeah. the we we just have to stop tolerating it, and I and I think that's on a personal level. I mean, Jesus said, "If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out." I think technology can be good; it also can be awful. And I think, like anything in life, some people can handle it, and some people can't. And if you're one of those people who right now can't, you just gotta. It has to matter enough to you. You have to value your marriage, value your children, value your witness, value your relationship with God enough to do the violence necessary. But I think the other thing is, uh, even in in a marriage to someone who's struggling, to not tolerate it, not to be vindictive, or but to say, hey, this is a big deal. One of the things I always say to people is, can you imagine being in a wedding? Where, where the bride and groom are looking at each other and saying, hey, I, I promise to always love you and to be faithful to you, except, of course, my habitual use of pornography. I'm still going to want to watch my favorite porn star. And, you know, and, and how at the wedding, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. This is awful. Well, well be, you'd be reacting to something rightly. Well, it's no less awful six months down the road when they're functionally saying that. And, and I think one way that Christians can be different, in at least in the beginning, is to say, we're not normalizing this. We're, we're not tolerating this. So, you know, when I pray for my kids' future spouses, this is one thing I pray. I pray, Lord, that there would be someone that they would meet who is who is free and clear of pornography, and that my kids would be free and clear of pornography because I've just seen it destroy so many people's lives. If one of our listeners is struggling with pornography and they don't know how to take the steps towards healing, we talk about this being like an addiction and very similar to drug addiction, what would your advice be for those first few steps of or even has a kid, uh, maybe yeah. like an adolescent mm-hmm. who's also struggling. Yeah, the first the first step would be confession. You know, uh, John will say in First John, if we say we have no sin, we make Jesus out to be a liar, right? Jesus went to the cross for sin. When we pretend like we don't have sin, we, we're basically saying he died for nothing. But then he goes on to say, if we, but if we do confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And I think I really do think sin grows in the dark. So I think saying, I have a problem, I have a problem, it, even just in a room by, like if you listen to this podcast, you could pause it right now and say, I have a problem with pornography. I think there's power in that. There's even more power in saying it to your spouse. And, you know, I know some people will or say- if you're an adolescent, saying it to, to your, your parents, your student yeah. ministry leader, yeah. somebody, you need to talk to somebody. Just get it in the light, get yeah. it in the light. And what you're really saying is, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but I have this problem. And then I think- Seek help. We have great ministries at the church, Regen, 180, counselors uh, who are helping people get free. I mean, you know, the the story I told about the guy on the golf course who said, I'm not angry with my five years. He's, I mean, you know, he, he would look at hours a day 
right? Now five years for Inclusion. There is hope. Even the story, Joe, you told about synapses, rewiring, and right. you know, um, God's grace can can not just cover our sin, it can change, but not if you keep it in the dark. You have got to bring it out into the light and get help. And then it's up to the rest of us to uh, be honest about the hurt that might cause us, especially if it's a spouse. I, I don't think there's healing if you pretend it isn't hurtful, but I think to uh, cry with them, get angry with them, seek forgiveness, offer it, and then say, hey, I'll help be part of your your healing. Yeah, we've talked about so many things, and I feel like we could keep going and going and going. But if you want parents to hear one thing, we're at the end of the podcast, like, if you hear nothing else, this is the takeaway, what would it be? I think the biggest thing I would say is overwhelmingly that the men I meet with whose lives are being destroyed by pornography looked at it at an early age. Even if I allow that in this culture it might be inevitable, boy, the longer you can delay it, I think the more meaningful. I I really do. I, I think that my... My fight as a dad is to prolong that timeline because I think it, pornography is awful, but in the hands of a child, it is stronger than them. It's just stronger than them. So I want to delay and delay and delay, and I don't apologize for it. We're, we are we talk kids all the time. We're not like other families. So you just get used to it. This is not the first time we're going to be weird. It's not the last time we're going to be weird. We We love you so much. We will fight with you for you. And I just think it'll be worth it as, as a parent. I do not think there will be a single parent who 20 years later will regret being cautious. I think there will be a generation of parents and children saying to them, mourning that they were not less cautious. So, so fight. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming, talking about this topic. We know it's a difficult one. I appreciate the vulnerability and just the wisdom that you guys both spoke about today. And... Thanks for coming. This has been Parenting for the Everyday. Tune in next time.